0: Paul's testimony of God's grace. Uh, is this off? I'm a, probably the only guy that's like this, but I just, I feel like I'm going cross sided with this thing right there. So, all right. It is a little shorter than the, what used to be in here. So maybe I should stop doing that. But it's a habit now. It's hard to stop habits. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, Paul gives his testimony here, and um, I think I've listed the other places in the scriptures where we see his testimony either given by Luke on his behalf or himself Acts chapter nine is where we see it you know when it when it actually happened um acts chapter twenty two he gives his testimony to the Hebrews from the steps of the Antonia Fortress, Acts chapter 26, he gives his testimony to King um, Agrippa, Galatians chapter 1, he gives some glimpse into his testimony of when he was saved, Philippians 3, um, we've talked about that recently in our church services, his testimony there, and then here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to recognize your grace and your mercy for what it is. How wonderful and how great it is in our own lives. And Lord, help us to understand what you'd have for us from this passage of Scripture this morning. Lord, I need your help to be able to make plain the ideas that are here that you want us to hear this morning. There's much to, um, would we call it, sift through. There's so much here we cannot give everything in the minutes that we have. So I ask for your help to know what to say. You know what is needed I don't know what we need this morning. You know the hearts and the situations, the thoughts, the burdens of each person that's here. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit to be able to take His Word and work through it, through the words that I say to meet the needs that are here this morning. And we ask this for your own honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this paragraph... Uh, It starts with, Paul starts with a thanksgiving, and then at the end he gives a a praise, a doxology is the technical word for it, and in the middle there's actually a quotation. It's kind of interesting. He starts there, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. We talked about that about a month ago here, how he just, the very first word there is like gratefulness or thankfulness. He just starts out, I'm thankful. Not I'm, but thankful I am, or grateful I am. So there's this tremendous thanks that Paul has here. And we, um, in our last time, talked about how he was thankful to God, who had put him into the ministry. But that is set against the contrast of who Paul was before. And that's the point of the paragraph, actually. We can, we can definitely learn about being put into the ministry by the Lord. But that's just the first, it's not even the first sentence because he says that, he says, I thank Christ who put me into ministry, and the sentence isn't over. Who before, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. So, he's, so that statement, that thankfulness is for where Christ put him and from where Christ took him. At the end, we have this tremendous... Um, statement of praise and worship, now under the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says something very similar to this just a couple pages over at the end of chapter 6. In verse 16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And in the middle, he gives a quote. He says, um, this is a faithful saying. Now he uses this, that little phrase about four or five times when he's speaking with Timothy or Titus, this is a faithful saying. And there might be a couple ways we could think about that. Why, why does Paul say this is a faithful saying? Um, one way to look at it is that at this point in Christianity, which was very young uh, at that point compared to how old Christianity is now, this was already a saying used by many, accepted by all. No one doubts it. No one um, no one, no believers doubt it. No one, no one argues against this concise statement: Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a faithful saying. Another way to look at it is that Paul was coining this phrase. He was, he is an apostle. You know, he was used by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. And in the midst of that scripture, it could be that he's making up this phrase saying, use this phrase. This There's so much in that phrase. Use it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the faithful saying. And isn't that something? Christ Jesus. Who's that? <laughs> Christ Jesus. Christ. He's the king of heaven. He's the king from heaven. He's the king promised for. Millennia, actually, a thousand years, nearly, by you know, promise to David. Um, so he's he's Christ and he's Jesus. Jesus, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's the Savior, he's the King, and the Savior. So it's in, so all this condensed here, just in the first two words, came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. He was already in existence, as, you know, if we've, our Baptist theology or our biblical theology teaches us that, we know that, but that's a, that's a big point to be made. Everyone else who came into the world was born into the world. They began their life at some point in the world, but Christ preexisted the world. He came out of eternity and came into the world. He already existed. He's the self-existent creator, and, and as such, he's, he's perfect in holiness. Christ Jesus, the perfect holy One, stepped into the world. What a contrast. Christ Jesus came into the world. What is the, the world is that the people of the world that we can you know, we can shake their hand, we can put our hands on them, all the people of the world. And Christ came in the midst of people. People that were fallen. People that were degenerate. People that, like us, whose thoughts don't love the Lord. Whose, 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 whose mind is bent toward rebellion against God. Christ came to rebels. Christ came, to pe- Christ came into the world into the midst of people that hated him. He came even to his own, right? And his own received him not Christ came, and besides the people in the world, he came into a spiritual situation. The world is not just people it 's a spiritual place. The prince and the powers of the air of this world are wicked, evil, and he came in he came to degenerate people that had that lived in and that were part of a, a spiritually wicked system and he came there from heaven to save them Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and hasn't he done that he came to save sinners wicked wicked sinners like Paul persecutors injurious blasphemers He came to save sinners like you and me, pious, stuck on ourselves, raised in a Christian home that think that we deserve to be saved. He came to save us, too. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we have this thanksgiving, this quote, and this praise all about and within Paul's testimony of God's grace, of His own salvation. So I want to, this is, what it, sorry, I think i aimed that toward the microphone instead of covering it. Um, When Christ came to the world, did the world deserve that? No. So that is the essence of an undeserved gift. Right? And that's grace. That's God's grace. This is Paul, one of. <laughs> we call this Paul's testimony of God's grace. We should say Paul's testimony of God's grace from 1 Timothy 1, 12-17. He testifies to God's grace throughout his writings. So, but Paul's testimony to God's grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's God's grace. And so I have some questions that we'll just remind ourselves of. I think all of this will be a reminder, but hopefully... It, the Lord will use it to help us. Let's read the Let's read his testimony once more, and then we'll ask these questions. Point out these the answers to these questions. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord at verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse twelve again. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for they counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. "...because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him, to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So who is God's grace from? Who is God's grace from? We've kind of already talked about that, but His grace comes from, I thank Christ Jesus it's from Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and and I I see that I've already said this. I was you get thoughts in your head. Christ Jesus, he's the promised King. Christ is the promised King. To Paul, Paul, you know, when you read the Bible, you see Jesus Christ our Lord, or Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you noticed that they're not always the same order? Paul doesn't always use Christ Jesus our Lord, but he uses that formula or that order more often than the other apostles and we might wonder we might just assume that perhaps it's because when Paul first met the Lord he met him as Christ the king on his throne in heaven saying what are you why are you persecuting me who are you (laughs) okay but when he first met him he was Christ now the other apostles when they first met him he was Jesus Okay, now, he was the Christ also. But if you understand, they, they knew Jesus as the man, who, the man who walked on the earth. Um, when I, that just reminds you, like, when I'm teaching little children at Bible Club, they'll say uh, a question, and they'll say, God. And I'm saying, what was his name? Because the man, God, the God-man had a name, and his name was Jesus. So... So the disciples that followed Jesus knew him as a man, Jesus. They thought he would be the Savior and they didn't understand it until after he rose from the dead. right? But Paul met Christ first. So perhaps that's why it's that, there's that little difference there. Either way, he is the Christ and he is the Savior and he is the Lord. And this... Christ, this King, this Savior, this Lord, is the one who gives his grace, who bestows his goodness on us his grace, so then the 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 grace of God, the salvation, the conversion that that paul 's testimony of god 's grace is that it came from Christ then let 's see. What it is, or what does it do? What does what does salvation do? What does God's grace do? God's grace effects. God's grace causes a radical change, right? What does he say? Who was before a blasphemer? A blasphemer. We think of, to, to me. I, I can't give you an example of blaspheming. I, I, right? Now, maybe I have in my in the way I walk, in the things I do, but I've got enough in my in uh, training in my background that I'm not gonna verbally tell you. Right? It's it's awful. We just like, ooh, stay away from that. But that person, a blasphemer. Was saved. Isn't that a radical change? Um, a blasphemer, a persecutor. Remember what Paul did? We don't have the time to list through it, but he went into people's houses, grabbed them, hailed them, and dragged them off to prison. He says in another place about a testimony that he murdered people, he gave his voice, his assent to their death. He was a persecutor. And then injurious gives the idea of just an, uh, some people say that that's like a bully. Just like a, a man that is just, just awful. He's just, you don't, he's just mean. And mean not the right word. He, it, he's just a brute, a beast of a man. And not in the like strong, but a beast of a man in the like doesn't care about a thing here 's a man who doesn 't care about things, only himself persecuting the church, blaspheming God, and now he 's the apostle Paul writing thirteen or fourteen books of the bible that 's a radical change that 's the external that we can see, but he was radically changed internally too, as much as we 'd say he was a brute, beast, awful man. we see what he talks about how he talks about himself in another place in Philippians. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a very pious man. He's touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's where most of us are. I don't, I don't know everybody's story, but that's where most of us are. Honestly, right? I, my parents raised me to do what's right. I got less than 10 demerits in a semester. And the demerits I got, those were not sins. Isn't that where we are, most of us? Pious. Pharisees. Blameless. In the law that we set up for ourselves. Good looking people. But Paul says, that's all. What does he say in Philippians? I count that worth nothing. That's a radical change, isn't it? That's a radical change. What are you depending on? God's grace causes you not to to turn from yourself and throw yourself at the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. So, who is God's grace for? Who's God's grace for? You look at the passage. Who's God's grace for? But I obtained it because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Right? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. God's grace is for ignorant sinners. Now, we use the word ignorant as a term of derision. The Bible uses it in its... It didn't have that... English people connotation back then it, it, the Bible used it in its dictionary um, meaning which means somebody who doesn't have knowledge they're ignorant they're they're, they're devoid of knowledge first let, let me just put it this way anyone who comes to repentance was ignorant You're going your way. You think, this is the way. This is the way things should be done, whether you're raised in in a Christian home or not. "This This is how I please God. And finally, you see, that's not how I please God. I was ignorant. I had my own thoughts. I'm jettisoning those own thoughts. I'm turning to Christ. So anybody who comes to repentance, turns from their own way and believes on Christ was ignorant. But let me say this, and this is a strong warning. Do not presume to be able to repent later. Do not presume to be able to repent later. We can sit there. Our family has devotions Five days a week, seven days a week, whatever. We I go to Bible class three days a week. I'm in Bible college. I have twelve Bible classes a week or whatever, you know, right? Every time, just opening the Bible. Plus, I go to church. I know all about what God expects. I know that He's merciful but I'm going to do what I want until I feel like turning to Him. Don't presume. That's called presumption. When you know the system so well and you're going to work the system, that's presumption, and God will not be presumed upon. To balance that out, or to... to, to Bring that together. You're, you are, you are always only one prayer away from God. You're, you're always, no matter where you are, no matter if you're sitting here presuming upon God, 20 years down the road, your life's a wreck, you're still only one prayer from, 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 from turning back to God. You may, might be right now sitting there, not even enjoying what I'm saying because you are presuming right now you can stop that. You're only one prayer away from God. But you may get so hardened in your sin and satisfied with yourself that you never turn to God in prayer and repentance. Say, is this the only place that is in the Bible? No, it's not. It's not the only place this is in the Bible. It's patterned off of something in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it for you. Numbers 15, 27-31 Numbers 15, says, And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sins by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Maybe you've noticed this before, but there's a lot of times in the Old Testament where we have sins of ignorance and sins of presumption, and then sometimes it just talks about a sin. So how could anybody sin through ignorance? Well, especially back then, when there's two or three copies of the Word of God, and you heard it by Moses reading it to you, and then, you know, and then they made another copy, and now there was six or seven copies, and there's only two million of you in the, in the wilderness, you, you might not have assimilated everything that you are supposed to do. You come back to the temple, because you know, I'm, I know I'm supposed to come back to the tabernacle once a year, and you hear something, oh, whoa, whoa, I wasn't supposed to be doing that. That'd be a sin of ignorance. You know what, that even happens in our lives when we have stacks of Bibles. We have stacks of apps on our phone about the Bible. I mean, we, more, I mean how many of you have more than one Bible app on your device? I do, Bible is... Bible study, Logos Bible, whatever, U version. There's all kinds of, and, and there's stacks of stacks of. St- anyway, but even that, we can go through our lives, we can, we can get something twisted in our head, not out of rebellion. And all of a sudden, whoa, we're reading the Bible and we're like, well, <laughs> I shouldn't have been doing that. We can sin through ignorance. But especially back then, I think it was quite easily to sin through ignorance. You shall have, I'm, I'm back in numbers, you shall have one law for him that sins through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourns among them. So there's no, no preference between one or the other. But, um, uh, whether, um, okay. but the soul that does ought anything presumptuously Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproaches the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That soul shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. So, this is a principle, this is a truth of God for Old and New Testament. Don't presume. Don't presume. What wonderful grace and mercy. How many people that have presumed? How many times I've presumed and yet received God's grace and mercy when you you turn back to him. But don't presume. So who who is God's grace for? Ignorant sinners. To what extent does God's grace go? Paul says, this is a faithful saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's God's grace. And then he says, of whom I'm chief. So when he says, I'm chief, he says, I'm the first. Or the word there has the meaning of the prototype. protos proto- pro- Prototype. The, the, the first. The model. I'm the model sinner that Christ came to save. Now, he wasn't the first sinner that was saved chronologically, And and we might say, well, you know, I know there's other sinners that sinned more than than Paul, but you know, the Holy Spirit didn't put a parenthesis in there and say, Paul was speaking. Paul was speaking evangelistically here. He wasn't really the greatest sinner. There are other people. But either way, the idea is he is the he is he's the he's the model sinner. He's the sinner, and Christ saved him. He's the first. He's the prototype. Any other other person who comes along can fit right in because Paul was saved. If Paul was saved, anybody can be saved. He's he's, He's the first, not the first fruits, but it's kind of somewhat that idea too. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. If Christ is resurrected, all those that are in Christ will be resurrected with him. If Paul can be saved, anybody that's a human being that has, that has sinned, and that's all of them, can be saved. He's the first, he's the prototype. Then, how much grace is there? Where does it go? I'm seeing, I know the phrase, but now I lost it in my passage. Uh, oh, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Super abundant. Um, Some people like the word super. That's super. It was super good. It was super great. Paul likes the word super. Uh, The word for him is hyper. Hyper. He makes up new words when he puts hyper in front of it. And hyper grace. (laughs) It was Great grace. It was super, uh, exceeding abundant grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So, why does God have this grace? Why is God gracious? Paul gives here, it's interesting, and and I noticed this, I don't know that I noticed it as clearly now, but I noticed this years ago when I wrote the Bible quiz questions for 1 Timothy, and I should have looked up the actual questions, but the question is, uh, according to verse, um, according to verse 13, why did Paul obtain mercy? Because of his ignorance. And then... According to verse sixteen, why did Paul obtain mercy? Okay, there's, it's, it's, it's in both places, but I obtained mercy because I did it an ignorant. And for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. That's the the immediate cause. Why, in Paul's case, did he he receive mercy? Because he sinned in ignorance and unbelief. He really thought he was pleasing God, right? Exterminating these blasphemers that believe on some guy named Jesus, right? But in the end, ultimately, why did God save Paul? So that he could get glory for himself. The ultimate reason Is to show the long suffering of God, right? Um, Whoops, wrong pass. Where's there we go? So that Christ, that in me first, Christ, Jesus Christ, might show forth all long suffering. If Jesus will be was long since Jesus was long suffering with Paul, he'll be long suffering with anybody, anybody that comes to, to comes to that you talk to. It says, God could never save me. Oh, but he saved Paul. And since he saved Paul, he can save you. To show and 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 that's actually the second thing for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting, to life everlasting. First is just to show how long suffering, just to show Christ's character trait Christ's attribute of being long suffering christ is long suffering jesus christ could show forth all long suffering and then be a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting so god's grace god saves you not for you but to show who he is God saved each of us to show how great he is. And it's like Paul gets to the end of that and he says, this this God, this Jesus is so great. I must praise him. What should we do with this? What should we do with this quick review of Paul's testimony, of hopefully your testimony, of our testimony? First, we should proclaim it. We should tell others. Now this is, I get this point from its placement in the text. We didn't have time to read the whole chapter. But Paul says to Timothy, I left you in Ephesus so that you would um, stop those that are teaching false doctrine. And then he starts talking about his testimony. Why? Well, one reason would be, if I was saved, those false teachers can be saved too. Right? Yes. Proclaim the gospel. Tell people. If God can save Paul, he can save all of his other enemies. Paul was an avowed enemy. He was going out. He hated the people that followed the way of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life. He hated Christ. And God saved him. If God can save Paul, he can save all of his other enemies. And I would say that some, when we pray... I don't know how you pray, but sometimes I think I have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on my prayer list. And my flesh does not want to pray for them. But I will say. When I see them on my list, I pray that God will save them. Wouldn't it be that the greatest victory? Wouldn't that be not the greatest, but for that guy's life or for her life? That's how God defeats his enemies. That's the way we, as loving Christians, want God to defeat his enemies, is by saving them, not destroying them. Now, we know some will be destroyed, because they will not accept God's grace. But if Paul can be saved, Joe Biden can be saved, and Eric Holcomb can be saved, and anyone else who's, who's in our mind, an enemy of the work of God, they can be saved too. We need to proclaim the gospel. We're not going to have a chance to go to Joe Biden, but we can proclaim the gospel to other enemies of him. Anybody who's walking down the streets and never, never turned to him, they might not even know they're an enemy of God, but they're, they're against him and they're under his wrath, and we can proclaim the gospel to them. So, since Paul's saved, since I'm saved, I should be proclaiming the gospel so that others will save. The next thing to do with it is believe. Believe. God's grace is for you. It's for you. Whether you're a rebel who doesn't like the the idea of anybody being an authority over you, who bristles under the fact that somebody would intimate that maybe somebody's a rebel in this room, you're a rebel, God's grace is for you. Whether you're pious, I've only gotten six demerits in my school career, whatever, God's grace is for you, and he will change your life drastically. And then the last thing we should do is praise and worship, praise and worship. Now unto the king eternal. He's the eternal king. He's the king of this age. He's the king of the last age. Whatever worldview you come from, whether you have two ages in your eschatology or 75 ages or a million ages, whatever, he's the king of all ages. He's the eternal king. He's king of them all. Now under the king eternal, immortal. He is not subject to decay or destruction or deterioration or anything like that. And as young and youthful as you are, if you've been injured, God has never been injured. He's never had anything like that happen to him because he's immortal. And he's invisible. We only see glimpses of him. Moses saw the backside of his glory. And, it, and he turned into so bright that people couldn't look upon him. He's the only wise God. Isaiah says, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself, that formed the earth and made it. He's established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. There's no other God. To Him. To to Him. To the King, eternal. To the immortal God, the invisible, the only wise God. To Him, be honor. Who are you honoring? Who, Who gets your honor? I don't know who it is now. I know one of them is messy. Uh, who gets your honor? Who gets your, the devotion of your life? Every spare moment is given to what? Unto the King, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory. Who do you give glory to? Forever and ever. Amen. So let it be. So let it be from me. So let it be from you. So let it be from every person whose life has been changed by the grace of God. Not just Paul, all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we cannot comp- we cannot wrap our minds around. We cannot comprehend your grace but Lord please let us understand it a little bit enough to change us some more